This is Wessler Media. Podcast behind State Fair. I want to ask you some questions about what happened. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm Leah Wallace. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Okay. So, what have you ever been hypnotized before? No. So, what did you experience up there? That I just heard a voice in the background was kind of blurry, and I just listened to the voice that was telling me what to do. Something that I think has intrigued a lot of people at the Ohio State Fair. It's enjoyed by many, but it's understood by few is hypnosis. Um, the only things I remember, I remember going up on the stage, obviously, before the hypnotizing, and then all I remember is taking someone's shoe and smelling it, and smelling someone's armpit to my left. <laughs> That's all I remember. You've got two hypnosis acts at the Ohio State Fair at the Main Street stage. You walk past it, you see people dancing around like monkeys, licking lollipops that aren't there, and smelling each other's shoes and armpits. If you're ready to be hypnotized, or you want to see some people get hypnotized, Ohio, let me hear you clap your hands, make some noise. Crazy weird stuff, but they wouldn't do it if they weren't hypnotized. So why do they want to get hypnotized, and how does this actually work? Is it the devil's work? Is it some voodoo? Are these guys nuts? Well, the thing you have to realize is when I do suggestions, they can be on or off the mic. So I'm giving them suggestions off the mic, too, so that, that so there's a spontaneity to it. Well, let's talk to both of the hypnosis acts and get to know them and their stories behind this mysterious practice. The Ohio State Fair and Wessler Media are proud to present A Fair to Remember, discovering the stories and people behind this statewide tradition. So what happens is a person does three things. They're able to get really relaxed. We all do that. Focus, which means you clear your head. You don't have a whole bunch of thought going on at the same time. I'm your host, Vince Tornero, and this is Season 2. And as long as the person's relaxed, focused, and able to take the instruction and let it happen, that's hypnosis. Now, you know this is your pen. You gave it to me. It's not a trick pen. It doesn't clap. So that's the voice of Terry DeVolt. The first time I met Terry was when we were in the fair offices right before the interview in the uh, PR manager's office. And Terry asked me if I wanted to watch him put a pen up his nose. So the PR manager, Alicia, watched in horror as I taped the whole thing. All the way as far as it would go. When you tell all your friends and anybody else you see, you saw Sideshow Cowboy T. Texas Terry drive that pen up into his skull and live, they're going to ask you if it was a fake pen. You tell them, absolutely <laughs> snot. A true story, after Terry pulled that pen out of his nose, he licked it and put it on a shelf in Alicia's office. It's still there today. And no, we haven't touched it. I'm not sure, uh, not sure where we go from there after I'm sitting across from a man sitting across from a man who just shoved a pen up his nose. Terry spent most of his childhood living 50 miles south of Kansas City, Missouri, in a town called Drexel, just 750 people. He's a self-described class clown, and he always had a passion for making people laugh. His dad and Red Skelton were definite inspirations. He says his career started when he found the book How to Juggle at his local library. It's funny how stuff like that happens. And what followed was conquering riding a unicycle, walking stilts, clown college, and the rest is history. He's been a friend and featured performer at the fair for the past few years and has had a remarkable journey up to this point. And if you stop and think about it for a second, it's that one small action of picking up that book that launched Terry's entire story. We're going to start with hearing about his journey to Ringling Brothers Clown College. This is fun stuff. Well, I went to college for a year and got my degree in air hockey and pinball. Air hockey was big back then. So I love air hockey and pinball, but I always said I goofed off. And actually, I worked at the radio station there, so that's kind of another way my 
performing developed. And I had a nice little side business. And then I got out and started, when I left college, I started welding. And then I got into the sheet metal apprenticeship program. So I spent four years as a sheet metal apprentice. And I knew for out of three of those four years, every year Ringling Brothers and Barn Bailey Circus would come to, come to Kansas City and they would hold clown college auditions while the circus was in town. So I knew that I wanted to go to Ringling Brothers Clown College. And I just thought, I don't know how to do it, what I gotta do to do it, but I know I wanna go there. But because it's so hard to get into an apprenticeship program, I also knew I was not gonna quit that. So I would never go apply, I'd never go audition or apply for the circus every time they came to town. But the year, 1983, I got my journeyman card. And I always tell people, I was a 23-year-old kid. In today's money, I got my journeyman card. I was making about $45 an hour. And I, lo I used to have a 67 gold Cadillac station wagon. Some people call it a hearse. I like to call it a station wagon. And so I had bullhorns on the hood and all kinds. It was a wild, crazy car. But I loaded up my... Cadillac hearse and I drove to, uh, to actually Venice, Florida, where and I showed up the day before Ringling Brothers Clown College started. Said, hey, I'm from Kansas City. I'm here. If you got an opening, I want to be here. And if you don't, here's my application. I'm coming back next year. I want to be here. And the dean of Clown College said, you drove all the way from Kansas City just to give me this application? Yes, sir, Mr. Severini. I want to be here. So he said, I got to send your application overnight to the home office in D.C. And he goes, if one person there says you have to go, you have to go. Until then, it's going to take two or three days for them to decide you're going to be a guest here. So I started. I got invited. And then three days later, we was in the middle of a, one of the classes, a physical comedy class. And it's about lunchtime. And the dean of Clown College, Ron Severini, come by. Hey, Terry, come up to my office after the class on lunch break. Yes, sir, Mr. Severini. I go up, knock on the door. Miss Serena, you want to see me? He looks up from his desk. He goes, yeah, you don't have to put the toothpaste back or the cap back on your toothpaste. I said, excuse me? He goes, you don't have to put the cap back on your toothpaste. And I was not getting it. I'm like a dumb hillbilly guy from a small town. I'm like, I'm sorry, sir. He goes, you, you don't have to pack up. You're accepted. You get to stay. And I'm like, oh, 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 my gosh, this is great. And so I had told actually my job, I didn't quit it at that time. I told him I was going to take two weeks off, go to Florida, check out Clown College, and then come back if, you know, if I didn't get accepted. I went down on lunch break, and, and then I called my job, and that's when I told him, hey, Dave, the shop foreman, uh, this is Terry. Remember I told you I was going to Clown College? I just got accepted, so uh, I guess I'm quitting my job. <laughs> and he's like, really? Ten weeks later, out of the two to 3,000 people Ringling Brothers accepts, they, or excuse me, they have auditioned two to 3,000 every year. They used to take 60 maximum. In 1983, they took 55 people. 10 weeks later, when they graduated, there was only 44 people left. Out of those 44, they only hired 14 that year, and I was lucky enough to be one of them. Uh, it takes two years to make one route of the country with Ringling Brothers Circus. We used to do 550 shows a year, travel 11 and a half months. So we were on the second year of what's called the rodeo route to shorter towns. Anyway, we were in Kansas City, 1985, and uh, Red Skelton happened to be playing the Starlight Theater in Kansas City this, on the Saturday night of the week we were going to be there. We'd play a town for a week. And uh, one of the clowns reading the first day in the, in the alley, Clown Alley, our dressing room, one of the clowns reading the local paper, he goes, hey guys, look here, Red Skelton's going to be performing here in Kansas City on Saturday night. 
we should get our PR people to send him a note and see if he'll come visit us. So that's what we did. We had our PR people talk to his PR people and extend an invitation. Hey, because if people don't know, Red Skelton loved clowns. He would paint clowns and he just loved, you know, he did Freddy the Freeloader and clown characters. So anyway, he, uh, we extended an invitation and uh, we didn't think he was going to show up. They said, oh, he's too busy. He won't have time. But we would do what's called uh, pre-show come in, clown come in. 20 minutes before every circus started, the clowns would go out and warm up the audience. On Saturday morning, of we have three shows a day on Saturday. Saturday morning at 10 minutes after 10, we go out and do 20 minutes of clown acts and clown gags uh, 20, be, before the 10.30 circus starts. And we're, the clown band is always the first thing we're going to go out with. We're all standing backstage, and we call it the back door, behind the back door, it's a curtain. And so, the big garage door opens at Kemper Arena. There's a ramp, and down, about five minutes prior to us going out, that door opens, and here comes a big, long, white limousine, pulls right up to the back door curtain. What in the world is this? Some VIP dignitaries coming in. We don't, we don't know. And all of a sudden, the door opens to the backseat of the limo, and Red Skelton steps out. And we're like, oh, my gosh, he came. He's here. He's here. Nicest guy in the world. You know, not full of himself or anything. He's just, like, so sincere, and he was so happy to see all of us. As, you know, we were, like, amazing. Like, oh, my gosh, you made it. He goes, yeah, I can't stay up for the whole show. I just want to come and say hello because you guys invited me. It really touched my heart. And then he said, so you guys want to take, after he shook everybody's hand, he goes, you guys want to take some pictures? We're thinking he wants to take pictures with us. Well, yeah, we'd love to take pictures. So he goes, okay. He reaches it back into the limousine. He gets a camera, a little camera out, and he goes, okay, you guys, get over there. I want to take your picture. He's like, wanting to take our picture. We're like, no, Red, you got to be in the picture. He goes, come on, I want your picture. So then we he took pictures with everybody. And then our performance director, Charlie Bauman, famous old tiger trainer, he became performance director. Anyway, he got a chair, Red Skelton sat right by the back door. He watched all of our 20 minutes of pre-show clown gags, skits, and then uh, he watched the opening number, and then he had to go because he had to do music, uh, his music and rehearsals for at Starlight Theater. Well, uh, one of the clowns in the alley, uh, Clown Alley, David Kaiser, had just got a brand new pair of clown shoes and they arrived in Kansas City. And his limo driver, meantime, you gotta think backstage at Ringling Brothers Circus, there's all these showgirls running around, you know, getting ready for the show. And, and Red Skelton's limo driver's looking like a kid in a candy store, looking at all these good looking showgirls and all this stuff, and he goes, Hey, and he tells the clowns, he goes, before they left, he goes, hey, uh, I got to take Mr. Skelton over to, uh, to Starlight Theater, but I don't, I don't do anything for three hours. Can I come back here and hang out? So David Kaiser, when we got the show going, he goes, hey, you guys, the limo driver's coming back. You guys want to thank Red Skelton? Let's do this. He goes, I got my old pair of clown shoes. Let's all autograph it. Tell him, thanks, Red Skelton, for coming to visit the Blue Unit Clown Alley. And then also, let's get money together. And a banana peel, slipping on a banana peel. That's a stock, a physical comedy thing for a lot of people. So we said, oh, wouldn't it be funny? We're going to get give him. We, we all put our money in. We got $25, and we told the limo driver. We autographed David Kaiser's shoes. Hey, every clown, thanks for coming to the alley. All the Ringling Brothers Circus Clowns. Anyway, he said, all right, here's the deal. Give him these clown shoes and tell him we really appreciate him. And here's $25 on your way. Stop and buy $25 in bananas. And give him all them bananas with these clown shoes and tell him the Ringling Clowns said thanks. 
He did that. On the third show, we get our PR people come into the clown alley and go, all right, we got an announcement. Listen up. Miss Red Skelton, Mr. Skelton, he was so impressed and touched by the banana. He laughed at the bananas and was touched that somebody gave up their clown shoes to sign him and thank, thank him. He's going to take everybody out to dinner tonight. So he sent three vans over, and all the clowns went to, to barbecue. We ate, we ate at Gates and Sun Barbecue, 47th and Paseo on, uh, downtown in uh, Kansas City with Red Skelton. And he sat there for an hour and a half telling stories. And we, I mean, he met us there. That big old white limousine pulled into the parking lot after we'd already arrived. He got done with his show, and we went in, and he bought dinner. You know, we all said they had it already, you know, set aside. And, it was just great. That was like, I mean, if you say what was my highlight, I've done a lot of things in the circus. I've been on TV with Emmanuel Lewis and I've Barbara Mandrell and I've, you know, Ben Vereen and done all these things with the circus. But my highlight, I, I was going to break the world's record for stilt walking until my dad got injured and I, I went home to help him. And uh, I, all the things I did, Red Skelton, dinner with Red Skelton was my highlight in the circus. When Terry was done touring with the Ringling Brothers Circus, he got into the art of hypnosis and started creating his own shows to tour around the country. These acts include the T-Texas Terry Comedy Wild West Show, Sideshow Terry's Comedy Stunt Show, Sheriff Dusty Cadaver's Wild West Freak Show, and the show he'll be doing this year at the fair, the Comedy Hypnosis Show, and the Sideshow Terry Street Show. Terry's dedication to the fair is without a doubt definite, and there's a big reason why. My mother was... They had a rough life, you know. My mom was crippled up with arthritis when she was 36 years old. She started getting arthritis. I was actually supposed to be here at the Ohio State Fair. My mother had uh, uh, taken ill, and we thought she was going to be all right. She had an emergency surgery. Then I thought she was leveled out, and uh, uh, I went and did the Valparaiso the, uh, Fair, and then I was on my way to the, uh, here at the Ohio State Fair. And the day before, of course, we always come in the day before, get set up, get ready to do. But the day before the fair was gonna start in 2016, I was driving here. Because of rheumatoid arthritis for 40 years, she was 77, but she looked like she was about 97. And she was hunched back and stuff. But if you'd ask her how she was, she'd always smile and go, I'm finer than a frog hair splitting too. <laughs> and there's another thing she'd say is, all the time she loves it, I'm finer than dandelion wine. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I say she'd always put a smile on people's face, and you knew by looking at her, she'd got to be in pain. And the only reason I say that is so then uh, I was coming to the to here, driving here, and I called mom. Hey, I hear you're not eating. I hear you're, like, not doing so good. Yeah, I said, well, listen, if I come home for a, a day or two, I'll, I'll get the fare to let me come home because to get you pumped back up and get you, you'll, you'll go, you'll start eating for me and get, get your spirit back on you. And she goes, no. And she never said that to me. <laughs> and two years later, I'm probably going to shed a tear thinking about it. And she told me on the phone, I just want you to come home and hold my hand while I die. God love um, my agent, Mark Sparks, uh, Sparky with Triangle Talent, Brett Chance, everybody here at the Ohio State Fair. I came in that night. I got here. I was supposed to be setting up and starting, and I talked to Brett and, and Sparky, and I said, look, here's what's happening. My mom just told me she'd like me to come home and hold her hand while she dies, so they said, you gotta go. And so anyway, by, the, by uh, the grace of God and the Ohio State Fair understanding and, and being so supportive, I, to the day I die, I'll, I'll never forget the Ohio State Fair and 
Brett, Mark, because they were just like, Terry, you don't worry, we'll cover you. I was like, I'll, I'll do whatever I gotta do to get somebody here. Like, you don't need to do nothing. Go home and be a son. Hypnosis uh, is misunderstood by everyone the, of the general public because everybody watches cartoons, old black and white movies, Twilight Zone, and they think it's a swinging watch and it's mind control and it's voodoo and the work of the devil. And the truth is nothing could be further from the truth. The truth is hypnosis is nothing more than focus, concentrated focus, relaxation, and imagination. Anytime... Uh, psychologically, if you put the electrodes on people's brains and measure the brain waves, brain waves are beta, alpha, theta, delta, you know, when you're sleeping and getting deeper and deeper. But the reason I say that, if when anytime somebody is daydreaming, if you're daydreaming at work, daydreaming at class, if you're ever driving down the highway, get lost in thought and miss your exit, that's hypnosis. If you drive home back and forth every day from work to home, home to work, and one day you drive home, pull into the driveway, you've been lost in thought about the bad day at work, and you shut off your car and you go, hey, I don't remember driving home. That's hypnosis. Everybody's experienced that. Raise my hand. I want you to look up on my hand. I'm going to count to three. On to number three, I want you to exhale. Let your eyes close. Let your neck muscles relax. Let your body relax. So in hypnosis, what's happening on stage or in a hypnotherapist's office, you get a person's conscious mind to relax and quit making judgments. Then uh, there's a little doorway open called the critical factor, and you quit making judgments. Then your subconscious mind kind of takes over and listens. And so as long as you give somebody a suggestion that is not against their morals, will, or ethics, then they will follow it because your subconscious mind says, okay, that sounds good. How do people feel water? How do people taste a lollipop that's not actually there? Like how does some woman, I talked to her after the show and she said, I felt, I felt the, 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 the hot flame. How do you do that? Well, that's, I don't do it. I, we give them suggestions. We give them suggestions and the power of their imagination. The imagination is an amazing thing. Matter of fact, I'll tell you in a perfect example, you can, give, you can hypnotize somebody and tell them on the count of three, they're going to open their eyes and see an apple. And they're going to bite an apple. It's going to be the most delicious apple. But what you really give them is an onion. And they will not physically, they will not cry. They will not taste the onion. They will not smell it. They'll, they, and it happens all the time. Like the group, uh, you'll hear people come through town doing group uh, hypnosis for stop smoking, lose weight. That's one of the demonstrations they'll show them. You get somebody hypnotized, um, then they'll take an onion, which they think is an apple, and bite it and eat it all day long like it's an apple. So, yeah, it's an amazing what it can do. Also, even a lemon, and I'll just show you something, Vince, right now. Look at me. I'm Just imagine I'm cutting this lemon open, mm -hmm. and now as I cut it and peel it open, and now I'm squeezing the juices. And it's starting to just, I'm squeezing the juice of that lemon in my mouth and it's so tart and tasty and it's making me sour. Like, and are you starting to- I see what you're doing. You're starting to salivate. I, I see what you're doing. Puckering up, just like you're tasting that lemon, right? That's the power <laughs> of suggestion. So after Terry and I talked for roughly an hour, I wanted to test out this guy's work. You know, as much as I like him, I want to see if this stuff is actually for real. So I watch the whole show and I see people dancing around like champs, swimming in beaches and, you know, doing weird James Bond stuff. So in order to test out his work, what people actually experience, I talked to a few participants. First one up was Austin. Uh, so what did you experience in there? Just talk, walk me through what happened. Um, well, right now I feel really good. I don't know. It's just like a state of like... Um, you like know everything that's going around you, but 
you still listen to the voice that's talking to you. So when you open your eyes on stage, what do you what are you seeing? What do you when you when um, you're doing whatever he says, whatever is out there. So you don't see a crowd. Oh, there are people. Yeah, there are people out there. Okay. Okay. I see people, but I just do whatever he tells me. And during that night's program, Terry said something that kind of caught my ear. Your conscious mind is not going to remember any of this daydream until 10 o'clock tonight. When your family or friends tell you, look, it's 10 o'clock or later, your conscious mind will remember everything. You're going to smile and know how much fun you had. That's a present for you guys. Watch what happens at 10. They wouldn't remember it till 10 o'clock tonight, huh? So, of course, I had to test it out even further. I called Austin and another person who was in the show, Leah, who was at the open of this podcast. Hello? Hi, this is Vince from the uh, the Fair podcast. I wanted yeah. to I wanted to ask you what it's ten o'clock. What happened to you? <laughs> um, <laughs> I smelled a shoe because someone next to me was farting, so it was lovely. Um, I danced for people. I remember that something about like I was like James Bond. Um, I remember that I went on stage and then he was saying, like, you're going to go into a trance. And then I just started falling asleep on someone's shoulder. <laughs> and I went on a roller coaster and rode a horse. When did you remember these details? As soon as you asked. <laughs> when did you remember these things? Uh, like, right when you called, you told me it was 10 o'clock. So I wasn't really paying attention to the time until you told me it was 10. Wow. And then, like, 10, like, you called, and you said you were Vince, and I was like, weird. Like, oh, my gosh, I was in, like, I was James Bond. It was super weird. Did you remember any of this prior to now? No. <laughs> That's so weird. My name is Ron Diamond, and I am an illusionist, magician, hypnotist, and I hail from the uh, area of... Florence in Independence, Kentucky. Um, excuse me, folks. I apologize. We're running out of time. So, guys, in the, in the sake of time, this is what we call the fast hula. You believe mind control is possible? If it isn't through hypnosis, hypnosis does not control the mind. Uh, mind it, it, that is another area of study and psychological, especially when they've done studies in psychological warfare. And 99% of all studies with that mind control stuff, it's about brainwashing, and brainwashing and, and hypnosis are not the same. And the techniques aren't even close. But do you believe it is possible? Not through hypnosis. Okay. But definitely through brainwashing, which is totally different. And when I first went to Kansas, um, it was against the law to do hypnosis in, in, in a public event, and I got to present my information to the uh, Senate, who passed a law that allowed me to be there for two weeks while they examined whether what I was doing was going to be acceptable. They eventually passed a law and made it now totally acceptable for it to be practiced in the state of Kansas. And to this day, I always laugh because every year in Kansas, I, the first few years I was there, there's a huge Amish community, and one of the two days, the, they would show up in horse and buggy to the fair, they'd park their buggies right along my stage, they'd all get out and watch my hypnosis show, and then get back in their buggies and go home. And I said, there's an example of a very devoutly religious faith and a religious group that got it because they took the time to hear what I was about and what it could and couldn't do and what the background of it all was. And they consciously said, okay, we see it now.
It, it, they, they changed their attitude. And once people understand it, they, they, can sometimes, they can change theirs too, but not when they're dogmatic to the point they can't structurally change anything they believe. Now, Ron is the host of the Mental Magic and the Hilarious Hypnosis shows here at the fair on the Main Street stage as well. He and Terry, they both have very similar viewpoints. So what happens is a person does three things. They're able to get really relaxed. We all do that, different levels. Focus, which means you clear your head. You don't have a whole bunch of thought going on at the same time. That's the harder one. A lot of people can't clear their head. Third one, suggestion. And suggestions are nothing more than words or statements of instruction. TV and all these shows that make it look like it's all about mind control, which is, I mean, I always say in the deepest recesses of our entertainment world, we always embellish what things are. You watch a magician perform, I can guarantee you people will walk out of there thinking the magician does real magic because they can't explain it. There's no option in their mind except to think it's real. And I say the same thing about hypnosis. They can't explain the fact that it can do what it does in a way that's not controlling because they can't comprehend it unless they experience it. All I can do is honestly stand up there and say, if there's a person, just like magic or hypnosis, if there's a person standing up there claiming to have powers just because they want to be some egotistical guy that seemingly is above everybody, then they're the ones giving it a bad name. Uh, my philosophy is I always make what I say to an audience, both in my magic and my hypnosis, the first thing I say is there's nothing I do that anyone can't learn to do with about 16 years of hard work. Here's the misnomer. A hypnotist does not hypnotize you. A hypnotist shows you how to do it yourself. All I'm doing is I'm using the techniques that give you the ability to do for yourself what we usually do by accident. We are all hypnotized when we're driving and don't know where point A to point B was, you throw your keys on the table and don't remember throwing them down. It doesn't mean you forgot. Your mind was over there instead of where you threw your keys down. And a few minutes later, you don't remember what you did with them. So a hypnotist teaches a person how to get their mind to those places at will rather than by accident. So that's what I'm doing. And no, they hypnotize themselves, which is why I always say to those on stage, I cannot make you do this. All I'm here to do is show you how. Now, Ron spent most of his childhood living in Plant City, Florida. That's home to one of the largest local fairs in the state. It's there where he says he was introduced both to the entertainment and the fair atmosphere in general. That really drew him in. He's held numerous different jobs, including gigs like working in a funeral home and later for Disney. Now, as an illusionist, magician, and hypnotist, Ron's got a ton of different hobbies and interests to keep him busy. In addition to receiving a psychology degree from TCU, he's also been certified in clinical psychology and became an instrument-rated pilot, participates in commercial droning, but it seems like it always comes back to the fairs for Ron. Well, when I was in elementary school is when I got introduced to the fair market because the, the, the Plant City Strawberry Festival, because of my interest in jazz and dance and all this other stuff, that's where the kids even here at the Ohio State Fair. They give these kids, not just the 4-H'ers, a chance to come here and do things that can't be done anywhere else. You got the little kids coming that can do dancing, they can do art, they can do all kinds of stuff that they can't do in public unless the fair gives them that opportunity. So that's what happened with me. I got introduced to the fair market early as a child being given the opportunity as a three-year-old and up to go there and perform. And it went, got into my blood. 
And then when I became a magician as an, at an early age, it was the fair that let me come in and hone my skill set a little bit, making the mistakes I needed to make and learn from it. And, and when I got out of college, after, you know, I went to college and after college, that's when I made the decision. I can't, uh, uh, what am I going to do? Oh, the fair market. I, it just, it was like a light bulb went off. Hand it to me right there. Young lady, do me a favor, hold out your hand. Stand up. Come over here. Put it on his head. I did a show one night uh, down in Florida and uh, there was like a 69 year old man in my show. And the, I was got I got a phone call the next day and uh, about six in the morning, turned out to be the man's wife. And then she get she said, "Are you Mr. Diamond?" And I said, "Yes." She goes, "I I, I need to see you." And the first thought I had at six in the morning is, "Okay, am I about to get sued? What did I do to her husband?" And she's if the, she's uptight enough that she's calling me this early, this can't be good. So I said to her, "Well." F I don't know what, she goes, oh, oh, no, 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 nothing happened. I'm thinking, well, yeah, but it's six in the morning. She goes, no, no, I was just freaking out. I said, what are you, why are you freaking out? She goes, well, she goes, my husband was in your show last night, and at the no end, you said. And every one of you are about to get the best night's sleep you've ever had. She said, I just wanted to let you know I need more information because my husband slept all night, just like you said he would. I went, okay, what's that got to do with? She goes, he's had, he's had Parkinson's disease very bad for the last six or seven years, she says, he hasn't had a whole, a whole night's sleep without waking himself up shaking in ages. And she said, he slept for the first time in six years all night long. And I said, that's good stuff to know. I said, the, I said, only thing I want you to know is hypnosis is something that isn't applicable to the person who does it. So I am no special person. You don't have to see me. It, it's obvious he responded in a very positive way to the technique. What you need to do next is find a local therapist who can teach your husband how to replicate what he experienced when he got home last night. It looks really good, doesn't it? Oh, that's a good lollipop. What is it? Rum and Coke. Rum and Coke, very good, excellent. I got a feeling this guy's got a shot at this. No pun intended. Just about every person I talked to that night who was in Ron's show said they experienced similar things. And I'll let Mr. Roman Coke explain. Do you mind if I ask you a couple questions? Uh, sure. What's your name? Samuel. Samuel, where are you from? I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Okay. So Samuel, what was what was going on up there? What was happening? Well, it was crazy um, because I felt super relaxed and like in a dreamlike state for a little bit. Okay. And then I woke up and I just feel like I went on a vacation. I just like feel so relaxed, you know? I'm like ready to go take a nap, basically. Do you, do you remember anything that happened up there? Well, I remember Mr. Diamond telling us to sit up there, but basically all I remember is waking up after a while. So do you know anything that happened up there? Not really. This is the best entertainment at the fair when you come it's to better, Diamond Show. It's better than any of the rides. It's better than any of the rides. Because you leave with a sense of relaxation that it goes on throughout the evening and tomorrow as well. You know what the craziest thing is? I saw Samuel the next day right outside the Celeste Center. Hey! Hey, how was your, so how was your night's sleep last night? It was amazing. <laughs> I'm here with the family. We're gonna see Kids Pop today. Okay. My sister's making fun of me because Hi. I've been here three times today. Hey, I've been here every day because I've been working for this. So, so you did have a good night's I sleep? I did have a great night's sleep. I relaxed, which is what I told you. Basically what you get is an increased sense of relaxation afterwards. Oh, so. 
you were there for yes. the hypnotized. He, yeah. He, he interviewed me and Jack after the Got hypnotization. Yes. What now? What 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 uh, what alcohol alcoholic beverage did you say? when you were saying the flavor of lollipop. Do you remember? Rum and Coke. Why is that? Well, because I'm Puerto Rican. <laughs> Afraid to Remember, presented by the Ohio State Fair and produced, edited, sound designed by Wessler Media. Executive producer and PR manager is Alicia Schultz. Additional script writing and editing by Becca Kerr. Every episode expertly mastered by Joey Gerwin at Orange Judio. Special thanks to all of our guests and anyone who did anything at all to make this podcast a reality. And thank you for attending the fair year after year and upholding this wonderful and fun tradition. Last, and of course not least, got to mention my wife, Melina, who listened patiently to various rewrites, versions, and edits of all of these episodes. I love you. And I'm your host, Vince Tornero. This has been a fair to remember. I'll see you on the Midway. The fun, the draw, the excitement of a fair, that should be enjoyed by everybody. And this year, the Ohio State Fair, it's going to be more accessible and inclusive of individuals with disabilities. Now, this is in partnership with Opportunities for Ohioans with Disabilities. Complimentary wheelchair mobility charging stations, they will be available throughout the grounds and are listed on the fair maps. And these fair maps, they can be picked up at the fair guest information services booths. Second, fairgoers who are blind or low vision, they can use this technology called IRA. This is really amazing stuff. Now, IRA, it's going to connect to an agent who can help you with navigation. In collaboration with Ocali, a sensory-friendly morning is going to take place July 31st, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. throughout the fair. The lights and the music on all the rides are going to be turned off, and fairgoers can enjoy the many educational activities, including those in the Oasis at the fair. That is the Ohio Department of Natural Resources Park. Now, if you want more information on all this and all this great stuff about making the fair more accessible, you can find it by emailing info at expo.ohio.gov. That's info at expo.ohio.gov. Or you can plan to stop by a guest information services booth during the fair. I had a woman come up to me one night, uh, one night after uh, last day of the fair, and she says, I have to tell you a story. I said, what's the story? She said, well, I have these little kids, and last year they had something for the kids from a TV show. The characters were here, and I brought them. And she said about halfway into the show, I had this terrible feeling. I just had this She said, when I got home, my 38-year-old husband was had had a heart attack and was dead in the middle of our living room. As she said, all this year, she says, all year long I've been miserable, depressed, grieving, sad, could not get on with my life. She said, now, you know, I've got two small children i got to raise. As she said, I dreaded with every fiber coming back to the fair to have all that come back again. But the kids wanted to come back to the fair and wanted to see because they were too young to understand the grief thing that was going on anyway. She came up to me and said all this and said, and but she said, I've been coming to the show every night for the last 10 nights. And she said, I just want you to know the one thing I've gotten out of it is that I sort of got a voice in my head uh, telling me that it's okay to, ha to laugh again. She said, because I've never laughed so hard in my life as I have the last 10 nights. And it's given me a freedom to realize I can still grieve, but I can still have a life. That's the stories that make what you do worthwhile. It goes way beyond just being an entertainer. It's like my wife always says, I have the luxury of entertaining, but it's what you don't see behind the scenes and off the stage if you let the opportunities happen that changes things. You really can see 
things like that changing people's lives. And, and I never take for granted that being an entertainer doesn't give a person a chance to affect someone in a way that could become temporary, but sometimes very deep and lasting. The production you just heard was carefully crafted at the studios of Wessler Media. For more powerfully engaging podcasts and other audio content, visit wesslermedia.com. Stories of overcoming adversity, intense and unexpected twists and turns, education, encouragement, and plenty of those, did you hear that, moments. Hear more and talk to us about creating your own podcast, from large and detailed projects to smaller, more personal-sized productions. That's wesslermedia.com. W-E-S-S-L-E-R-Media.com.